Everything else in the whole world fails except for love. And how the Lord gives us that is through a is through a cocktail, a combination of rewards and punishments, affection and kindness, but then discipline and severity, you know. He has to give us both because otherwise if if he's not severe, if he doesn't discipline us, then we'll take his kindness and love for granted. But then if we don't feel loved by God, then we'll only see him as a harsh judge and we won't come to him. And how he kind of does that, he says, and you don't have to turn that, if you want to just write it down, that's fine. He says in the Psalms, Psalm 30, Yeah, he says in verse nine, he says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it won't stay near you. And so it's like when we don't feel that love of God, when we don't, when we're not, um, when God is not, when we're not broken, it's like we have to be controlled like a horse. You know, you got to, it's like some type of something has to control you, make you, you know, uh, an authority or, you know, some people use, uh, you know, medicine or drugs or alcohol or whatever, whatever the thing is, it's like whatever the, 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 the punishment, the reward, the stick, the carrot, it's like that's got to be the thing that controls you. You've got to be controlled, you know, like a... Um, it's like a pig, you know, a pig is always going to find its way back to the mud. You know, no matter how far you take it away from the mud, it's always going to make its way back to the mud because that's its nature. And so when our nature isn't changed, it's like you've got to be controlled by that. That's what all law is for. Don't drink and drive. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. But why is that even necessary? It's necessary because of our nature as humans. Unregenerated, without the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, we've got to be controlled by something. But what the Lord is saying here is, is that he does not want us to be like that. What the Lord wants is for us to be governed and controlled by his love, to be moved by his love. The fear of God is to hate evil, but that's what it's for, is to keep you and me from doing evil, not from doing good. You see, that's what the fear of God is. The fear of God is to hate evil. Why? So we can focus on the good. And so what God wants for us is to be controlled by his love. He says in this, he says in 1 Timothy verse um, chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, the, talking about the reason for these, um, the reason for his commandments, the reason for all these commands, the stick, the carrot, God's discipline for us, the reason why he does all these things, the reason for these commands, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 5, he says, the aim of our charge is love. That's first and foremost. The goal 
the goal of, of the commands of God is first and foremost, what? Love. That's the goal. That's, that's okay. I don't know. They tried to call him back. That's the outcome. That's what God is looking for. It's not a, it's not a relationship with commandments. It's not a relationship with a, a particular service. It's not a relationship with, you know, it's, it's not to a, a, um, just a particular behavior or just to re- reform. That's not what it is. The goal of the command is what? It's love. And what is that love? He says that love issues from what? It issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And those three things together make up love. A pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith in the Lord. Those three together are the ingredients that make up love. So when a person says, oh, well, I can't, um, you know, I love you, but then their heart is not, or, but, you know, but then their heart is not pure, or th- their faith is only sometimey when they're around some people and not around others. Or if, if, they're not, if they're not trying to keep their conscience clear, like when the Lord is speaking to our conscience and we know that we're doing something wrong and we don't address that, you know, that's, we can't love. We can't love each other. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I, don't, and I have no problem calling myself out. I think, you know, about this morning, you know, this morning I had a, a, a choice as to whether I was going to keep a good conscience or not. You know, I had accidentally given the wrong med to a guy. And the temptation is to do what? To cover up our sin, right? To cover up our wrong, to bury it, you see. But, you know, in the end, what happens? It ends up exploding through our conscience. We end up having no peace, no rest, no nothing. So I, you know, and then David said, I would declare my sin. So that's what I did. I just said, hey, I made a mistake here. There's nothing wrong with the guy. His vitals are fine, whatever. But a good conscience is that when the Lord is showing me something, I take action on it. So the point is, is that, and my wife and I were talking this morning about intervention, about the need to have God and God through his people to intervene in our lives to get us to that point. You, you and I can't get there without being taught, without having somebody to train us in this way, you know, and that was one of the biggest regrets of my life. And I talk about this all the time with faith in my, my friend and other people is that one of the things that I absolutely regret the most is that in our upbringing, we had absolutely, we had no intervention, none. We had no one telling us how to be a man. How am I supposed to treat a woman? Are they just sex objects or are they something for me to love and cherish and nurture and respect? What am I supposed to do with money? What career am I supposed to go into? Guidance, intervention, training, teaching, making you into a man, making you into a woman. And the Bible says, when you don't have that, he says in Proverbs 29, 15, he says, when you're a a child, Proverbs 29 and 15, He says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. That's what God as our father does. The rod and reproof that give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Let's stop it. Bring shame. When I'm left to myself, 
when I don't have that outside intervention from my parents, from authority figures, um, when I'm not seeking that intervention from God, what ends up happening? I end up bringing shame, not just to myself, but to other people. I bring shame to my household. I bring shame to my community. I feel shame. I feel like my life is not worth anything. I end up imploding. I end up self-destructing. Why? Because you don't know nothing. You don't know what to do. You're just out here. Just living by whatever. And when you don't have that, you're just living by whatever impulse, whatever the flesh wants. You're a slave to it. So if the, if the flesh is driving you in this direction, you'll go there. If the flesh is driving you in that direction, you'll go there. Why? You don't have anybody stopping you. And that's why so many of these young men and young women are angry. They're angry because no one is stepping in to stop me from being a fool. And see, and that's what we want. That's what young people want. That's what children want. They might rebel initially. They might rebel initially, but in the end, when they get that discipline, when they get that rod of correction, when they get that word of wisdom and counsel from their parents and from authority figures, they say, oh, thank God. Thank God that you cared enough about me to tell me this. Because I would have been a whole fool if I didn't have somebody to teach me. He says, the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And this is what the Lord does for you and me. The Lord, when we come to, when we come to the Lord, first of all, the church, the, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, that Yeshua came into the world to save us from our what? From our sins. So when he says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, what are we gathered together to do? We are gathered together to stop sinning, to learn how to stop doing wrong. When we first come to the Lord, the Lord is, he accepts us as we are, but he will not leave us as we are. He accepts us as we are, but he will not leave you and me as we are. So for the, and this is where we've gone wrong. You've got homosexuals and LGBT who say, God accepts me as I am. And in their mind, they're saying, oh, I don't have to change. Or somebody who's been out in the street, they say, oh, God accepts me as I am. He, therefore, I don't have to change. Or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, or whatever my sin is, God accepts me as I am, but I don't have to change. That is not true. God takes us right where we are, but he does not leave us to ourselves. Why? So we don't bring shame to him and to ourselves and to others and to the church. He does not leave us as we are. He takes us and he shapes us. He is a father to us. So he disciplines us and he loves us to where we don't to where we get to the point where we we do things, we act and we are holy because we love God. But when the love runs out, the fear will kick in. You see, this is just like with, with, with our parents. You know, when, when love, we love our parents and we love our parents and we want to obey and do the right thing. But when love runs out, fear of that belt kicks in. You see, and that's the same thing with God. God accepts us as we are, but he does not leave us as we are. And so what does God do? He takes this rough, he takes this rough piece of wood that we are, this unshapen clay. And what does he do? He takes it and he shapes it, but he's got to put it in something to keep it still. 
You see, and this is what God does for us. Once he saves us, he puts us in a type of prison. And this is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. Just write this down. Ephesians in chapter 3 and verse 1. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to work on you and I as prisoners of the Lord and what that all means to be a prisoner of our Lord and God, Yeshua the Christ. He says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Yeshua. A prisoner. Now, first and foremost, a prisoner is somebody who is first put in a prison. You cannot be a prisoner of something if you're not put in a prison somewhere. And so what God does for us is, is that he takes us right where we are and then he puts us in a prison and he starts to work on us. If anybody, I used to, I used to teach in a prison. I used to, well, I used to, it was a jail, but prison is just a step above jail. You know what I mean? It, you know, really you can't tell the difference. It's just one is more secure than the other. So in the prison, there is no freedom. You can't do what you want to do anymore, right? Because it was us doing what we want to do that got us into that trouble in the first place. So God takes us, he puts us in a prison, he takes away our freedom. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5, he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, he says, and he died so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. So he puts us into a prison. He takes away our freedoms. We can't move like we want to. We can't do the things that we used to do. We can't go when we want to go. We can't say what we want to say. In a prison, absolutely everything is regulated. Everything. Bathroom break. Outside time. Where you can go. Your recreation is regulated. The things that you can enjoy is regulated. Your, your, your movement, where you go, is strictly regimented. Uh, your interactions with your fellow inmates are strictly regimented. Everything in the jail, in the prison, is strictly monitored and regulated. What you eat is regulated. Who you sit with, where you sit, there's punishment in there. You see, everything in that prison, in that jail, is regulated. And, it's, and, it, and, what is the, and what is the goal of that? The goal of that is to put the pressure on you and I it, to train us, first of all, that when we belong to Yeshua HaMashiach, we can no longer do what we want to do concerning anything. And so he puts us in prisons, whether the prison is our family the pressures of family, the pressures of a job, the pressures of marriage. You see, prison is a pressure cooker. And that's why you have these eruptions of violence sometimes, because the pressure gets so great that it comes out. You see, and that's what God does for us. He puts us in these situations where we're, we're, we're pressurized. We're pressurized. Why? So that way all the impurities can come up. 
And this is what he says. This is the, the meaning of, um, of, of uh, Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. He says, see now, I refine you in the furnace of affliction. For my name's sake, I do it. He said, how can I let my name be profane? So God puts us in these situations. He puts us around these people that we can't escape. You and I could not, did not determine where we were born. We didn't determine the skin color. We didn't determine anything. We determined nothing of our origin, nothing. God determined all of that for us, all way ahead of time. Because before the foundation of the world, those who belong to Yeshua the Christ, he already had a plan to make them like him. And in order for us to be like him, we've got to suffer like he did. So that way all those impurities can come up. You see, you notice when everything is, <clears throat> when everything is ease and comfort, there's peace. You can have peace in a home, right? You can have peace in a home, but it's a false peace. It's not a, it's not a true peace. Because there's stuff that's underlying in the surface that God wants to get out of us. And so what happens when we're, when we're pressure, when we're under that pressure, what comes out? All the deeds of the flesh come out. Our anger comes out. Rage comes out. Jealousy comes out. Selfish ambition comes out. And when it happens, the Lord shows you, you see, this is what's inside of you. You see, this is how he does it. It's not a matter of, oh, God, just take it away from me. Take it away from me. I just want to be pure. Oh, I just want to be holy before you. Okay, that's all great. But the question is, is how do you get there? And it begins with God putting you into circumstances that you and I cannot escape. Then when we put us in those situations we can't escape, that's when all the impurities come out. He says, uh, and um, in Job chapter 36, he says the same thing. In Job chapter 36, just before Psalms, he says in verse 5, he says, Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne, he sets them forever and they are exalted. Pay attention to this. And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, you're, you're tied down. You're not getting out of it. You can't, you, you're ready to move out. You're ready to be out there on your own. Oh, but each time the, you, the money somehow ends up having to get spent on something else. Oh, you want to get out of this difficult job with this difficult boss. And this, oh, but each time you put in another application, oh, nobody's calling you back. Oh, you want to get, you want to separate from your wife. You want to go your own way. You want to move on because your wife is, is, is acting a whole fool. Oh, but each time the word of God comes back and hits you and says, oh, God hates divorce. And each time you even think about it, the Lord convicts you and, and brings you down. You're not getting out of it. You're not getting out of it. Oh, that husband, that husband's so difficult and demanding. Oh, it's just not, he's, he's overbearing. Oh my goodness, Lord, what to do? I can't get out of it. Lord, it's been years, years and no change. Years, Lord, how long am I going to have to wait for change to come? Oh, it's not coming. Oh, you're not getting out of it. Why? 
because the Lord has put you in the chains of affliction. Then, and once you're tied, you're tied in, you're in that prison, what does he do? He declares to them their work and their transgressions that they are behaving arrogantly. So what does the Lord show you and I once we are in these prisons? He shows us our arrogance, our rebellious behavior, our self-centeredness, our foolishness. He brings all that out. Why? Because you won't hold still long enough for him to do it. So he's got to put you somewhere. You won't hold still. You won't, you, you keep wanting to get out of it. You keep wanting to move. When God says, stay put, I'm doing some work on you here. He's, you're on the table. He's trying to do surgery on you. You keep squirming and moving and, oh, it hurts. Oh, I feel this everything. But so God's got to tie you down and do the work on you to declare to you and me our works that we behaved arrogantly. We were presumptuous until you slow down and stop. Then you can think, okay, Lord, this is what I've done. I, I cannot tell you that this, I'm, all my life, all my, in my Christian life, the Lord has put me in situations I simply could not get out of. And why? I remember one clear example. I was living with somebody and, you know, it was, it was a drug abuse situation. It's like, well, Lord, why didn't you let me get out of that? It's like, why? I asked, I asked my, my sister's uh, father, because uh, the situation happened, my sister called her dad. Her dad was there the next day, all the way from New York, drove down the next day, you know, to pick up my sister and take her back to New York. And I asked him, I was like, well, I said, Kevin, can I go with you? Can I go with you? Because I'm trying to get out of it too. I want to get out of this situation. I don't want to be in it anymore. And what did he say? Nope. He said, no, I don't think my wife would like that. So what did he do? He took my sister and I ended up being left there. Lord, why did you let that happen to me? Because I am tying you in the cords of affliction. I'm declaring to you your works. I'm doing surgery on you. And if you go back to New York, if you get out of it, then my plan and purpose for you cannot be accomplished. There's a brilliant story of that. The story of Joseph is a perfect example of this and how deliberately God works to keep you and me in certain situations until until we learn the lesson or unlearn the thing that we're not supposed to have in us. Because there are some of us, it's not just when God puts us in prison, it's not just a matter of learning a lesson. A lot of times it's a matter of unlearning things, unlearning that I'm not loved. Unlearning the thought that God doesn't care about me. Unlearning the thought that I can follow my own plan. Unlearning, unlearning, unlearning wrong behaviors. Unlearning wrong habits. It's unlearning as well. And so there's a beautiful, beautiful example of this in uh, Genesis in chapter 40. Now here it is. Joseph, Joseph has been in jail, what, almost two or three years now. For something that he did not do, he had no, he did nothing wrong. His brothers were just jealous of him. Again, that was his that was his um, prison. He was born in that family. His his brothers didn't speak a kind word to him. There was all this jealousy going on. There was nothing Joseph could do about it. Where was Joseph going to go in the middle of the wilderness? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You're not getting out of it. And so, what do they do? Sold him into slavery against his will. He had he had no control. He's sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to, again, he's doing well, he's working, he's learning, he's unlearning. And then what happens? Something else comes up. It's like, Lord, my God, 
Isn't this enough? I was sold into slavery. No, no, it's not enough. There's still more you've got to learn and unlearn. So what is it? You've got to go lower. I'm sending you to prison for something you didn't do. Potiphar's wife accused him of, of uh, sexual assault. But then while in prison, what does he do? He interprets two of the prisoner's dreams, the baker and the, um, the cupbearer. And so what does he, he asks the cupbearer, he says, after he interprets his dream favorably in Genesis 40, 14, he says, uh, he says, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days and three days. Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you are his cupbearer. Only remember me. Remember me. When you get out of this, remember me. He says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. Remember me. Get me out of this. I don't want to be in prison. Get me out. He says, remember me, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. At verse 19, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Hold on, wait a minute. Verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in his hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Who did that? Who did that? Who caused the cupbearer to forget the day after <laughs> Joseph told him to remember him? How do you forget? How do you forget that fast? The man who told you, prophesied to you that you were going to get out of jail in three days. How do you forget that quick? There was no, that was nobody but God. Because if Joseph was taken out of that prison before he was done learning and unlearning what he needed to be all of what God wanted him to be, he wouldn't have been ready. And so then what happens after, what is it? He's left in prison, chapter 41, another two whole years. More of that pressure cooker, more of the work, got being, more of the surgery being done on him. Two whole years he was in prison. And if you know anything about teaching in a prison or even being in a prison, you know that two years is an eternity. A month is an eternity. It's forever. It feels like forever. So Joseph had that surgery done on him and God deliberately kept him there. And that's the same thing that God does with us. God puts us into situations or our decisions put us into situations. And when we cry out to the Lord, the Lord does not answer. He might answer in a million other ways. Lord, I pray for this. Lord, you answer every single prayer, but this one. Why? Because he's not done with us. He wants to do surgery. And this is the same thing with the children of Israel in, in, in the wilderness. The same thing. The wilderness, the desert was their prison. And what did God do? God took them out of Egypt took them in the wilderness. You have nothing out there. There's nothing, no water, no nothing. You are entirely dependent upon God. And what was going on? You see all throughout Exodus and Numbers, all of what was in Egypt was coming out of them. You see, we want to go back to Egypt. Let's pick a leader and go back. 
What we found ungrat ingratitude was found in the wilderness. We found idolatry when they built the golden calf, right? We found fornication. We found uh, grumbling and murmuring and complaining. We found disobedience. We found outright rebellion. Numbers 14. We find all of that going on in the wilderness. Their prison. And that's what God does. The pressure. He puts us in these pressurized situations. And then what happens? All those impurities come out and then he has to discipline us. He disciplines us out of those things, out of those habits. It's like what you find in, um, in Numbers in chapter 11, when he talks about the, the cloud, he says in, in uh, Numbers, I think it's chapter... Numbers in chapter, yeah, Numbers chapter 9 and verse 15. And this is a picture because if we're, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, every single thing that happened to the children of Israel happened to, happened to them for our learning. So everything that is physical for them in the old covenant is spiritual for us in the new. It has a spiritual application. Egypt is a picture of the world ruled by Satan. When we were unsaved, we were under the control and dominion of Satan. When the Lord came and liberated us, the blood is put on our door. We receive Yeshua, Mashiach, Jesus the Christ into our heart as our Lord and Savior. He takes us out of Egypt, take, brings us into the wilderness. He starts working on us, working on us, working on us, bringing out all the world. See, he takes us out of the world, but then he's got to get the world out of us. And that's where most of us are stuck. Most of us are stuck in between Egypt and Canaan. We're stuck in the wilderness because we refuse to get Egypt out of us. We want to hold on to Egypt, just like the children of Israel. We've got a craving. We've got a craving. We want to go back. We want to go back. I remember the sex I had. Oh, it was so good. I remember the drinking and the drugs. I remember the clubbing. I remember the streets and hanging out with the boys and doing what I wanted to do. I remember that life. Oh, Lord, I miss it. Okay, well, you ain't ready for Canaan yet. You ain't ready. 